Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday, and it is March the 23rd, 2018, and the clock keeps on moving, and the calendar keeps on moving, uh, and I hope that all of you have had a terrific week, uh, the beginning of spring, finally, although um, here in New York, the temperatures will again dip below freezing. Um, what can I say? Spring is here, but it sure doesn't feel like it quite yet. Thank you for joining me, by the way. It's always good to play that inevitable game of catch-up at the end of what is always a crazy week, and in this era, it seems to get crazier and crazier. Uh, Those of you familiar with me, those of you familiar with my program, with my mission, if you will, know that I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, the agency Uh, that largely was transformed into component agencies when it was dismantled in the wake of the terror attacks of 9-11, and the mission of the immigration agents were transferred to an agency known as ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Um, And so uh, ever since 9-11, my mission has been to try to provide the perspectives that I acquired during my 30-year career so that the truth be told about the true importance of America's borders, America's immigration laws, uh, and why they are so critical to national security, to public safety, to the survival of the middle class, to a host of issues. And this is not about xenophobia. There are immigration laws, as I frequently point out, and this is a very important point that has to be made, have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity, Those who claim that this is about race, religion, or ethnicities uh, are liars. Okay, let me put it bluntly. They're absolute liars. They make those claims because they have a goal, and their goal, quite frankly, um, is to make damn sure that uh, we don't enforce the laws. It's hard to believe. Why in the world would you not want to enforce those laws in, in an era where we're threatened by the potential for terror attacks. There was just another deadly attack, uh, in fact, carried out in France. Uh, As I understand it, three people killed by a jihadi. Um, But yet you have so many politicians, predominantly from the Democratic Party, who uh, are eager to take down America's borders, not enforce the immigration laws, provide lawful status to unknown millions of illegal aliens. And, you know, even if, by the way, It wasn't for the threat of terrorism or the issue of transnational gangs or the other issues that we often talk about. Just flooding America with all those foreign workers would have a devastating impact on American workers, on their wages, uh, perhaps even costing them their very jobs. You know, prior to the Second World War, the responsibility for enforcing America's immigration laws fell to the uh, Labor Department. The whole idea was to be able to uh, protect American workers from unfair foreign competition. So the Democratic Party, and frankly, I've registered as a Democrat, can't tell you the last time I voted for one, sadly, the Democratic Party, which used to represent hardworking Americans, no longer does. The Democratic Party uh, has now become the party of advocacy for immigration anarchy. There's no other way to describe it. And, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out that if you invite too many people over to your home and you don't have enough food to give them, that people are going to go home hungry. Well, here we're not talking about providing food at a party, but jobs for American workers. And when you have a shortage of jobs, not a shortage of workers, you would think you would want to create more jobs before you bring in more foreign workers. But yet this is exactly what the Democrats are hell-driven to do, and by the way, so are the Republicans. Except I expect that from the Republicans because they have always been the party of the business owner. 
the people who want lower wages for their workers. There's nothing wrong with that. If you have a business, you want to pay the least amount possible. When you go to buy a new car or a used car, you get into a, uh, you know, a, a, a little bargaining session with the owner of the car lot or the car dealership or the salesman because you want to pay the least possible for that vehicle. He, on the other hand, wants to get the most money for that vehicle. And, and it's the same thing with labor management. So both sides have understandable concerns. But when the Democratic Party turned their back, stabbed, in fact, the, the middle class or the, the working poor of America in the back by becoming advocates for open borders and an you know, unbridled flow of cheap labor into America, what they've done is to destroy the wage structure for American workers, deprive them their jobs, often taking middle-class Americans who are working hard, many with advanced degrees, and turning them into the working poor or causing them to lose their homes or winding up on unemployment altogether. The strategy has been to bring in an unlimited supply of foreign workers to be computer programmers and engineers and so forth. And we hear the usual arguments, well, you know, we just don't produce enough engineers in America today. We don't produce enough programmers in America today. Well, that's nonsense. <clears throat> Ask the computer programmers who were fired, and there's hundreds of thousands of them, hundreds of thousands, many of whom have graduate degrees, decades of experience, who were sent packing, but if they wanted their severance packages, had to first train their replacements predominantly from India. This is the kind of lunacy we're dealing with. And even if you look at the Goodlatte bill, uh, Bob Goodlatte is an immigration lawyer. His son is an executive in the computer industry, and I'm sure that he's thrilled by the fact that they can bring in people from India to take the jobs. Uh, by the way, Zoe Lofgren, Democrat, used to chair the House Immigration Subcommittee, certainly was the ranking member as well when the Republicans were in power, <clears throat> became the chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee. What you have is a clear conflict of interest by members of Congress, and, and it's a very difficult thing to overcome. On the one hand, you would like immigration lawyers to be involved with the immigration issue since they are the most knowledgeable, and it is a very complex issue. But on the other hand, if you're an immigration lawyer, uh, then perhaps you don't see illegal aliens as a problem, but rather as clients. And no lawyer gets rid of clients. That's why we call the uh, accident lawyers the ambulance, ambulance chasers. So here you have coyote chasers writing our immigration laws from both sides of the political aisle. Think about what that leads to. Think about the clear conflict of interest. This is why comprehensive immigration reform would have enabled illegal aliens to get free legal help if that piece of legislative detritus had passed. And people say to me, well, you know, Mike, they, they wanted that because they were pandering to the illegals. Folks, Use some rational thinking. It does not make sense to pander to the powerless. It does not make sense to pander to the powerless. The reason comprehensive immigration reform would have paid the legal fees for illegal aliens is because lawyers like to get paid. They live for billable hours. That's the level of conflict of interest that we have. That's why nobody really wants the immigration laws enforced. What lawyer wants to see his client put on an airplane? Not too many. Not too many. So with that conflict of interest, <clears throat> we have as the backdrop the madness that we're witnessing now in California. And, you know, I write for a bunch of websites. I write for frontpagemag.com, Front Page Magazine, sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I write for The Social Contract, and I am ecstatic because this coming week, a booklet that I wrote, it's a solo work that I did working with the editors over at the social contract. I've been writing for them for years. Uh, it's all about immigration fraud. I wrote a major piece for the social contract quarterly about a year ago called Immigration Fraud, The Lies That Kill. There was such demand for it, and the folks at the social contract were so excited about it, they said, Mike, take that article, bring it up to date, Expand on the points that you were making, and let's make it a standalone book. It's about 30-odd pages. It's more of a booklet, if you will, but it's being published this coming week. There will be more about that as soon as it's out. Uh, it's something I'm thrilled about because immigration fraud is the issue that nobody ever talks about. 
We hear all about the border wall, the border wall, the border wall. Oh, my gosh, the border wall. We need to protect that Mexican border. We have to keep out the drugs and the illegals and the criminals and everything that flows across that very dangerous border. But let's please understand something. As I wrote in an article for for, um, Front Page Magazine a couple of years ago, the article was entitled Border Security and the Immigration Colander. The notion that if you plug one hole in the bottom of that colander that you use to drain pasta would convert that colander into a watertight vessel is foolish. It's ridiculous. It's an absurdity. You only need one hole in the bottom of your rowboat for it to wind up on the bottom of the lake. And so you've had politicians saying, we're going to build a wall. We're going to secure the Mexican border. And then mostly they didn't want to really secure it. They talked about 90% operational control over the high traffic areas. I want someone, somebody to translate that gobbledygook so it makes sense to anybody. That was just a way of saying, we don't want to do anything, so we're going to create a magic act, the illusion. And, 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 but meanwhile, let's keep those aliens coming because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has an insatiable appetite for cheap, exploitable, vulnerable labor. There's nothing compassionate about exploiting people. Today, by the way, is the anniversary of the Triangle Shirt Waste Factory fire. It was a disaster where well over 100 young women, mostly immigrants, were forced to work in a factory that had no escape exits, no way out. When the factory caught fire, these young women burned. Some of them jumped out the windows if they could wedge the windows open. It was that era's version, I guess, of 9-11, not caused by terrorism, but caused by greed. And that greed hasn't gone away, folks. And our sweatshops may have left, but the sweatshops that left, and I used to raid those sweatshops, and they were horrific, and they were aptly named, uh, I've walked into factories where the temperatures soared to well over 120 degrees with 100% humidity, with steam presses going. It was uh, really hell on earth. Those factories didn't go away. They just got moved. Moved to countries that don't give a damn about their people, about child labor, about safety laws, and so forth. There was the greed of the Triangle Shirt Waste Factory fire that led to the imposition of regulations that lots of greedy folks don't like. We don't want regulations. Of course not, because then we might be accountable. Now, there are regulations we've got to get rid of. I agree. There are regulations that make no sense. There are regulations that conflict with regulations of other uh, organizations, you know, EPA versus OSHA versus the Labor Department. We can go on and on. So, yes, we have to take a critical hard look at regulations because many of them are crazy and not needed. But fundamentally, the greed of, that led to the Triangle Shirt Waste Factory fire was what led to the creation of the labor regulations because nobody could believe that human beings could treat other human beings that way. shouldn't shock us. We're a flawed species. I, one of my favorite bumper stickers reads, the more people I meet, the more I love my dog. I'm sure you agree with it. But in reality, we've been sold a bill of goods. And even after 9-11, we still can't get it through our collective minds as a nation that we need to follow the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. We need to make certain that terrorists don't have access to America and that if they do manage to slip in, that there's meaningful law enforcement in place that will track them down and bring them to justice. And that means that we don't only need to be arresting illegal aliens who have criminal histories because nobody knows who a terrorist is. But we do know that terrorists violate the immigration laws, and that's why the second largest contingent of law enforcement officers assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force are immigration agents, second only behind the FBI. And that makes sense because the FBI runs the Joint Terrorism Task Force. But nobody makes that connection. And all we hear about is, oh, my God, they've arrested this person, and he was never arrested for anything. Well, you know what? Muhammad Atta, the ringleader of 9-11, was never arrested for anything. In fact, if memory serves me correctly, uh, two or three days before the attacks of 9-11, he was stopped for speeding, outrageously speeding, you know, really going quickly. But there was nothing in his history that caused the police officer who stopped him to hold him for another agency. There were no outstanding warrants on paper. Muhammad Atta, the ringleader of the terror attacks of 9-11, looked as clean as fresh-driven snow, except that he did violate the immigration laws. And unbeknownst to law enforcement, he was using multiple, multiple false identities. So now you've got sanctuary cities providing 
basically fake ID under the color of law. We're doing it in New York. They're doing it all around the country. And the, and the war cry we hear is, oh, if they don't have a criminal history, why do we want to deport them? Well, if you buy into that foolishness, then there's no reason for a border patrol. There's no reason for inspectors at ports of entry. If you don't care how an alien enters the United States, why in the world are we spending upwards of $14 billion per year for the border patrol and the inspectors at the ports of entry? And I did that job for four years at John F. Kennedy International Airport. I was an immigration inspector. Today those folks are called CBP inspectors, Customs and Border Protection. CBP gets close to $14 billion a year in its appropriations. They employ over 60,000 people. And my question is why? Anybody who believes in sanctuary cities wants to see the Border Patrol disbanded. Unlawful entry into the United States is a continuing crime. You don't become less illegal the further you get from the border. There's no inverse square law. You know, the inverse square law says that as you double the distance, you only have one-fourth uh, the energy. You know, so if a light looks much dimmer the further away you go because the inverse square law kicks in. Gravity works that way and so forth. We're not going to have a lesson in physics, but it's called the inverse square law. It does not apply to illegal immigration. You don't become less illegal the further you get from the border. The alien who runs the Mexican border or the Canadian border or stows away on a ship and slips into the harbor when no one's looking does not become less illegal when he or she gets further away from the place where they ran the border. And in fact, the venue for prosecuting such crimes lies wherever the person is encountered by an immigration agent. So if you arrest somebody because they came here illegally from Mexico, they ran the Mexican border, and they claim they ran it, let's say, in Tijuana near San Diego, that's a couple thousand miles away, you don't have to extradite the person back to San Diego for them to be prosecuted. If you find them in Queens, New York, you prosecute them in Queens, New York. It's a continuing offense. But what is offensive is that we are shielding those folks who sneak into the country, and they sneak in because they know they can't come here legally. And our immigration laws have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. I've arrested people from every, just about every country on the planet, and um, they were of every race, every religion, every ethnicity. didn't matter. What mattered was that they violated our immigration laws that are designed, and I, I want to run through this real quick. I want you to think about this. Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182. You can go to my website. I have plenty of articles where I include the link, michaelcutler.net. Go to Front Page Mag. Go to the Social Contract. Go to Newsmax. Go to read my articles. You'll see it. 1182, Title Eight. Aliens who are excludable. Aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Aliens who are severely mentally ill. Aliens who were previously deported. Obviously, they left. They came back illegally. They're fair game. And in fact. Reentry is a two-year felony, can be up to a 20-year felony if they're criminal aliens. I worked with Senator D'Amato to create that law in the early 80s. It's something I'm proud of. And by the way, the most frequently prosecuted federal felony across the United States, believe it or not, today is the crime of unlawful reentry. Over 30% of all federal prosecutions across the United States, all those prosecutions for the crime of reentry after deportation carries a maximum of 20 years in jail. Not inconsequential, okay? So that's another ground for um, exclusion. Aliens who are criminals, bank robbers, uh, arsonists, murderers, you name it, they're excludable. Aliens who are spies and terrorists and human rights violators and war criminals and fugitives from justice, all excludable. And then we get to aliens who would likely become a public charge or, or become a public charge and they become deportable, or aliens who have no authority to work, they're coming on tourist visas, that sort of thing. It would appear they're going to have to work. They don't have the means to, to be able to sustain themselves here. They're excludable. There's nothing in there about race, religion, ethnicity, nothing like that. If there was, I could not have enforced those laws for 30 days, let alone 30 years. So let's get past the myths. So we have sanctuary cities that embrace shelter, harbor, illegal aliens, and the mayors of those towns, and now Governor Moonbeam from California, Jerry Brown, they don't care if these people are even criminals. Doesn't matter. Come one, come all. 
You're a sexual deviant. You're a rapist. You're a murderer. We don't care. You're an immigrant. And America was built by immigrants. So why worry if you're a criminal? So be it. And if you're not a criminal, my goodness, it's those racist, terrible immigration agents who are doing this. And those false, outrageous claims, the claims of Nancy Pelosi, former Speaker of the House, who's dying to resume the gavel, God forbid, has said, and this is in 2003, if I remember correctly, I remember watching it on TV and I wanted to put my foot through my television, went to Mexico City, the country that sends us more illegal aliens than any other country across that border, referred to immigration agents as terrorists terrorizing immigrant communities raise that grievance in the capital of the country that sends us the greatest number of illegal aliens stop and think about how stunning a statement that was what a punch in the nose it was to every law enforcement officer in the united states but particularly to the folks that carry the badge that i carried proudly for 30 years equating the work of immigration agents with terrorists And most recently, she accused ICE agents of being cowardly. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Immigration agents have been killed in the line of duty. People I work with are in wheelchairs because of the injuries they sustained going after some very dangerous, deadly people. Cowardly? No, what's cowardly is that woman who hides behind that fright mask that she calls her face. That's what's cowardly. So she comes out and makes these statements, and words have impact. Assaults on immigration agents have more than doubled, more than doubled in the past couple of years. That's how bad it is. And the level of greed we're witnessing in America is beyond belief. There was an article in the Dallas Papers where they were complaining that the cost of housing has gone up in Texas because of the president's policies. There were fewer, quote-unquote, immigrant workers, yet people they can't exploit, take advantage of, and swindle out of their paychecks and people who don't know how to do the work properly either. My dad was a tradesman. He was a plumber but worked on construction. He had a five-year apprenticeship, which to me was no less difficult than getting a five-year degree in college. So you're going to compare a tradesman with an unskilled day laborer who can't figure out which end is up and wonder at what happens to the quality of the buildings that we buy. So now the complaint is there's too much focus on drugs and criminals coming across the border Don't worry about that. The price of housing is going up, and construction workers are making upwards of $90,000 a year, and this is unacceptable. We need those, those laborers back from Mexico so we can get the prices back down. So you have people who are building houses in Texas who are furious, and they don't care if the drugs come across the border. They don't care if criminals come across the border. They don't care who's dying. They just want to make out literally like bandits. They don't care that illegal aliens come into the United States, not all of them, but enough of them who are fugitives and violence-prone. It's been estimated that illegal aliens are ten times as likely to commit a violent crime as are lawful immigrants. Think about that. Ten times as likely. See, my point is not about being anti-immigrant. I'm opposed to illegal immigration. Big difference. For clarity. The difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. So in Dallas, Texas, there are people out there complaining bitterly that they have to pay a living wage to construction workers. They'd rather have slave labor by exploiting people who are incompetent to do a good job. And who gets stuck holding the check? In more ways than one, folks, it's the average American. It's the person who buys that house that was built by incompetent workers, so they buy defective housing. But the guy that owns the construction company walks away with a mountain of cash at everyone's expense. And they're happy to do this, even if it means that drugs come across the border, even if it means that murderers come across the border, even if it means terrorists come across the border. Too much emphasis on the criminals. We need those workers. That was the message. And I'm sure that those people are bribing the policy. Oh, did I say bribing? I meant to say making campaign contributions to our elected representatives. You know, I have such a problem distinguishing a bribe from a campaign contribution. Really, I do. As a federal agent, I was not elected to accept anything more than a glass of plain ice water if I knocked on someone's door, even if they weren't the subject of an investigation. 
If I knocked on a door because somebody five houses down was, was a subject of an investigation, we would frequently canvass the neighborhood to see what we could learn. And if I walked into someone's house and they were having dinner and they would say, oh, Mr. Cutler, why don't you sit down and have a cup of coffee with us? All I was allowed to accept was a glass of ice water. But you have politicians that are getting money shoveled at them faster than they know what to do with it. But, of course, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. This is the lunacy that now passes for business as usual in America today. And since the court decision, the Supreme Court decided, Citizens United, basically the amount of money pouring into campaigns is unlimited. We need a new position in Washington, the official auctioneer, because that's really what's happening. Our country is going to the highest bidder. We are in a race to the bottom, and it's not an accident. Mexico has become America's role model rather than the other way around. The wealthy of America are envious of the oligarchy of Mexico. Mexico has perhaps the 16th or 17th largest economy on the planet. And I've been to Mexico, and I've driven in the mountains above Mexico City where the people live in such squalor. Poverty doesn't do it justice. Squalor. No front doors, folks. They live in holes cut out of the sides of mountains covered by a serape, a blanket. A blanket covers the entranceway to their dwelling. I don't even know what to call it. I mean, I've gone into some rough neighborhoods here in New York, neighborhoods where rats run through the hallways, where the lights don't work, where there's no heat in the winter, no air conditioning in the summer. I've been in those houses, and they're horrific. But compared to what I saw in Mexico, those houses are a luxury hotel. And yet in Mexico, you have very wealthy people. A guy by the name of Carlos Slim was born in Mexico, educated in Mexico, worked in Mexico, at one point was the wealthiest man on planet Earth. How is that possible? This guy was the wealthiest man on planet Earth in a country that has industrious, hardworking people. They work their tails off, and they get nowhere, which is why they come to America. That's why at least 10% of Mexico lives in the United States. That's why Mexican politicians seeking to run for president in Mexico campaign in the United States, and not just in California. They campaign in Chicago and elsewhere because that's where their citizens are. Understand what's happening. They are getting 20 to $30 billion a year in remittances being wired home by their citizens working in the United States under substandard conditions for substandard wages. And there comes the incentive for flooding America with cheap labor. They'd rather pay an illegal alien basically nothing and treat them like trash rather than hire an American. And I hear this nonsense, Americans are too lazy. Yeah, who are you going to get to work in the United States for $6 an hour or $10 an hour on a job that should command a, a true tradesman's paycheck? So, of course, the people you're going to hire that will work for that money aren't particularly industrious. They're also not particularly qualified. The insults that keep getting hurled at Americans by their fellow Americans is an outrage beyond words. I saw how hard my dad worked and how talented he and his buddies were. For my father, the word impossible uh, didn't slow him down. He saw the word impossible as a challenge. For my dad and his friends in the construction trades, no job was too dirty, too dangerous, or too backbreaking. If it was a job and he got a paycheck, he went to work with a smile. Um, I saw him go to work sick as a dog, and he still went to work because, as he put it, who else is going to pay the mortgage? And I literally carried him off his last day of work when he was dying of lung cancer, in part because he had worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. My dad was part of that greatest generation. And today, I listen to the nonsense being spewed about the Americans who are too lazy, you hire an American, you give that American a living wage and legal working conditions, Americans statistically for the record are the most conscientious and productive workers on the entire planet. But if you're going to try to pay somebody minimum wage to do a highly skilled job, folks, you're going to get what you pay for. It's that simple. And being driven to import as many cheap workers as possible leads us to all sorts of tragedies. And in particular, it leads to the tragedy of Kate Steinle, who was killed by an illegal alien. And, and, and what's so outrageous about it, this guy had been deported five previous times. 
the guy in question um, incredibly had a rap sheet. He was involved with drugs, involved with all kinds of crimes. And, and this individual, Jose Inez Garcia Zarate, has an attorney or attorneys who are now accusing the prosecutors, the federal prosecutors, of launching a vindictive prosecution against him. Think about that. And because of that, they are demanding, they're demanding to see the federal documents because they believe, this this blows my mind, that the feds are collaborating, or the word they use, colluding, collusion, kind of like Trump with the Russians, collusion. They're colluding with whom? With local prosecutors and police. What an allegation, colluding with local prosecutors and police. Now, i got to tell you, I have a confession to make. I was with the INS for 30 years. For 26 of those years, I was a federal agent. I was an INS agent. For four years, I was the first, excuse me, I was the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA. Now, here's the confession. One of my supervisors, when I was assigned to DEA intelligence, was a member of DEA management. Then we rotated squads, and my next supervisor was a member of the NYPD management. New York City police officer, a member of the management team from the NYPD, was my second boss up at DEA Intelligence. Holy smoke, I didn't realize it, folks, but I guess I was guilty of collusion. Colluding with members of the law enforcement community to go after drug dealers, murderers, terrorists, people who were so violent and pernicious that it was the stuff of nightmares. We took guns out of these houses you wouldn't believe. And then I was promoted to senior special agent that assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So then I had desks at the FBI, DEA, ATF. I worked with foreign governments. And again, I have to admit it, folks. I worked with members of city police and the New York State Police. Did a case with the New Jersey State Police. I don't know how to tell you this, but apparently, according to these lawyers, I must have been colluding. The lunacy that we are listening to as a steady drumbeat in America today is like something out of a bad episode of the Twilight Zone. This piece of trash, this worthless scum that killed Kate Steinle, this piece of detritus with feet who repeatedly got arrested, repeatedly came back illegally, told everybody that he went specifically to San Francisco because he knew he'd be harbored, shielded from detection, from the evil ICE agents by the crooks running San Francisco, also readily admitted to the fact that he shot Kate Steinle. He's not arguing, I didn't do it. You know, I understand that argument. Okay, he says he didn't do it. The police say he did. Maybe there was a miscarriage of justice. Happens. Not often, but does happen. Right away he said, no, I shot her. I picked up the gun. Now, how he got the gun, I'm not sure if I believe him. This is not exactly a credible upstanding member of the community, but he alleged that he found the gun, picked it up, and oops, it went off. (laughs) I don't buy the oops, it went off routine, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I just have a problem dealing with crooks, thieves, liars, murderers, drug dealers, and people who violate our laws. I I have a prejudice against criminals. Yes, you heard it. I I, I am bigoted against criminals. I don't care if you're black, white, purple. I don't care whether you believe in God or what God you believe in, if you're a criminal, I have a real problem believing you, okay? 30 years of experience, lots of mileage on the odometer, the nonsense that I witnessed in the street. And this individual, through his lawyers, even after he conceded that he pulled the trigger, or maybe the trigger pulled itself, God knows, not a word of contrition. Not a word of contrition. Decent people, when they step on someone's toes, said, my God, I'm sorry. I I hope I didn't hurt you. They have a car accident. The first words people generally say when they get out of the car is, gee, I'm sorry. You okay? Just instinct. Decent people tend to do that. This piece of detritus is complaining that he was President Trump and Attorney General Sessions' punching bag, the words of his lawyers. They're his mouthpiece. They're his mouthpiece. 
I don't know what the word punching bag is in Spanish, so maybe he didn't say punching bag. I don't know if he knows the word. God knows. But that's the language being used by his attorneys. Instead of saying, look, what happened is a tragedy. We hope that there will be compassion for our client. He didn't mean to do this. You know, I can understand that kind of a statement. That would be, you know, what can you do? That He's got a lawyer. They've got to say something. But instead of saying, okay, yes, he did this. Yes, it's a tragedy. Yes, it was horrific. We wish, wish we could put the toothpaste back in the tube. We wish we could go into a time machine and undo this. He would never have touched that gun. That's not what we're hearing. What we're hearing from the attorneys is that there are real villains in this case to be found. And who are the villains? The men and women who carry the badge. The men and women who prosecute the crimes. They're the villains. They're the ones who are colluding. They're the ones who are carrying out this vicious attack on their upstanding client who just happened to kill a young woman as she strolled with her father in San Francisco, minding her own business. Those are the, those are the evil ones, the guys with the badge. And who can blame them? Think of what Nancy Pelosi had to say with that fright face of hers. ICE agents are cowardly. She goes to Mexico City and accuses immigration agents of committing acts of terror within the immigrant communities. I can tell you that I used my authority as an immigration agent to arrest terrorists in my career. But to Nancy Pelosi, the terrorists that I arrested were probably the victims of a terrorist. Me, if I carried that badge. I doubt Pelosi's listening. I can't imagine she listens to anybody. But goodness gracious, if she was listening, I have a couple of choice words for her. It infuriates me beyond words. But you see, the fact that Pelosi is in that position is the fault of the people who elect her. I don't care if you lean left, right, or center. Everybody wants the same essential things from our government. We want the military to keep us safe from their enemies. We want law enforcement to keep us safe from the criminals. And we want the schools to educate our children. And as I said at the very beginning, I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm a labor guy. If you're a labor guy, how can you support politicians who want to flood America with cheap labor that displaces American workers? Nothing makes sense. If people would just stop and think and stop arguing with each other based on who's a conservative and who's a liberal, those words mean nothing, folks. They mean bupkis. Stop the nonsense. Don't you dare tell me that the Republicans are all angels because you're a Republican. That's as crazy as the people who tell me that they have a great member of Congress because the member of Congress is a Democrat. Both parties are as corrupt as they come. There's no morality to be found in those parties. They're wheeling and dealing behind the scenes, looking for campaign contributions. Half of them, if you want to talk about, are colluding. You've got the Democrats and Republicans colluding. They're kind of like the fake wrestling that I watched when I was a kid, except when I was eight years old, I thought it was for real. You grow up a little bit. You learn that the wrestlers really aren't killing each other. It's all a big act. And very often that's the case with Washington. If we're going to succeed, if we're going to bring the madness to a screeching halt, instead of fighting with a neighbor who maybe thinks differently from you, use the facts to win your neighbor over. The facts speak for themselves. This issue of immigration shouldn't be controversial at all. It really falls under the broad category of common sense. It really does. We've got to gain control of the language. This nonsense of referring to all aliens, whether they're here legally or illegally as immigrants, is what started this downward plunge into the abyss. And this is not about political correctness. This is about Orwellian speech. This is about altering people's understanding by altering the language. Human beings think in words. Because we think in words, if you alter the words, you can alter the thoughts that the people have. That was the whole idea behind 1984 and Newspeak and the Ministry of Truth, which was anything about truth. It was all about propaganda. Please understand that if we're smart enough, I mean really and truly smart enough, to use the actual language, an accurate language, and not allow this Newspeak nonsense to pervade the debates, then they, these debates become very, very different. You know, here's two quotes from George Orwell. I always include them in my emails. 
so if you go to my website, michaelcutler.net, you can read it. But let me, let me just give you some food for thought, and then I want to move on to something else this evening. But this is two quotes from George Orwell. Political language, and with variations, this is true of all political parties, from conservatives to anarchists, sounds familiar, doesn't it, is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. Talk about pure wind. Wow. And then, of course, the other quote, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Why do you think you see fake news all the time? Remember Jack Nicholson at the court-martial? You can't handle the truth? Well, these folks want to make sure we don't get the truth. Because if we understood the truth as a nation, what these people are doing to us would stop. Would stop. Any politician who wants to blur the distinction between lawful immigrants and illegal aliens needs to be removed from office. Any politician who looks at Latino Americans differently from all other Americans is a racist and a bigot and needs to be removed from office. When you hear this crap about Latino voters somehow being different from other American voters, you're listening to the voice of a bigot, a racist, and a damn fool. All Americans have the same goals, and I think I articulated them clearly, keeping us safe from criminals and terrorists, keeping us safe from our enemies, educating our kids, and providing opportunities for all Americans. I don't care what your last name is. I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care where you worship God or whether you worship God at all. Any rational person has common goals and common concerns and common dreams. And when people start to distinguish us, the black voter, the Jewish voter, the Latino voter, these are bigots, they are racists, they are attempting the age-old game of divide and conquer, and they need to be ignored and they need to be dumped out of office if they dare think that way and articulate thoughts that are so terrible as that. Americans are Americans are Americans. On 9-11, human beings, not only Americans, of every race, every religion, you name it, were obliterated. Don't tell me that Latino Americans see things differently. If you believe that, by definition, you're a racist. You're attributing to human beings values based on their race. That is classic example of bigotry, racism, and a disgusting form of profiling. Wake up, folks. Wake up. We're being gamed. We're being made suckers of. That shouldn't please any of us. And the antidote is to dump those bums out of office if that's what they think and if that's what they preach. We are all Americans. and I've traveled clear across this country. And I have to tell you, when you sit down at the dinner table, and I don't care if you're in Montana or Minnesota or Hawaii or Alabama, Arizona, California, Texas, I've been there. We are so similar with the same concerns, the same dreams, and the same hopes for our children. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise because it's a big, fat, juicy lie. And any politician who's acute, who says these things, I don't care what party they're with. I don't care anything else about them. That's all I need to know, that that politician is toxic and needs to go. We are Americans, and we should be focusing on what makes us most similar, not what might make us different. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. Don't let these bigots and these fools and these bogus pollsters convince you otherwise. I wrote an article a while back where I said we're being shafted by the polls. And by the way, how good did the pollsters do on election night when Donald Trump won? Believe industry. It's a make-believe industry, and it's another way of conning the American people into accepting as truth lies. Right out of the Ministry of Truth, right out of 1984, this is not about political correctness. This is about newspeak and propaganda. Anyway, now that I got that off my chest, I I hope it helps you to understand the issues a bit differently. I hope I'm raising in your mind some questions, some thoughts. Thoughts and questions are good. We learn by questioning. Uh, I've often said that I should probably write a book called The Art of the Question. We've got to stop marching lockstep with people because we keep hearing this nonsense of I've heard and they say. These are all lies, and they're toxic lies. They're damaging America. 
They are undermining our country. They are undermining our solidarity as, as citizens of a country. And it's not an accident. It's not an accident. This is about weakening the bonds that unite all Americans. It's the game of um, divide and conquer. And we need to be smarter than that. We really do. And then we turn to China. And we turn to the fact that President Trump is now implementing uh, tariffs against China. And he's right for doing it. And it's so remarkable because if you start doing some research, and I've been looking at this for quite a while, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was the guy who, who said, we're going to give the most favored trade status. And when he ran for election, Bill Clinton said, no, we're not going to do this. Now, the theory behind doing this, and this is what they were saying publicly, God only knows what was going on in the background. I don't trust anybody. Um, I remember George Bush Sr. talking about a new world order, and George W. Bush was a disaster for immigration. In fact, the way he put the Department of Homeland Security together made it impossible to enforce our immigration laws and secure our borders. There was a, an amazing quote from John Hosteller when I sat at an immigration hearing. I was one of the witnesses, and we were looking at resources, I believe, uh, that the President Bush would not use to enforce the law. And Chairman Hosteller, chair of the House Immigration Subcommittee, conservative Republican. Now think how difficult that is. The guy is a Republican, and the president was Republican. Spoke out clearly, clear as a bell against President Bush, and made the point that the way that DHS was put together under the auspices of the enabling legislation, the Homeland Security Act, was the, the, the immigration was seen by the 9-11 Commission as the key issue. I provided testimony to the commission. First and foremost, 9-11 was only possible because the terrorists were, number one, able to enter the United States, and number two, able to embed themselves, hide themselves in plain sight as they went about their deadly preparations. If immigration had done its job, 9-11 would not have been possible. Think about it. So when DHS was created, it was supposed to streamline immigration law enforcement, ramp it up so that way terrorists couldn't get into the country quite as easily, and their ability to embed themselves would be taken from them. We would strip them of the camouflage they were using to conceal themselves. Instead, did was to create an agency that decimated immigration law enforcement. He took the immigration agency, the INS, cut it into little pieces, which meant there's something known as a third agency rule where it impeded the transference of information from one division to the other, um, he had Border Patrol agents prosecuted, Ramos and Campion, for doing their jobs. A bunch of stuff was done that undermined the enforcement of the immigration laws and undermined the security of America's borders. The goal for Bush was open borders, immigration anarchy, and he seized 9-11 as an opportunity. When Congress passed the Homeland Security Act, he saw in that moment the opportunity, instead of enforcing immigration law enforcement, decimating it and that's why we saw this quick downward trend where all the aliens were charging into the united states it was that it was nafta another disaster and i agree with the president about this president trump nafta was a disaster we allowed american agricultural giants adm and others to destroy the mexican farm worker they could not compete with the produce that the american companies were dumping on the mexican market and when those Mexican farmers lost the land that had belonged to their families for decades, or generations actually, not just decades, uh, they had no choice. They were bankrupt. They fired the farmers who worked for them, the farmhands, and they all headed north. So you look at all that had happened. We didn't have this kind of a problem with illegal immigration before. The Reagan amnesty motivated people. They said, well, if they did it once, they're going to do it again. Each step of the way, more incentives and more opportunities were provided to aliens to run the borders, enter the country, and get away with it. And the goal for the immigration lawyers in Congress was to make sure that we never had enough immigration agents. Really, what we need, at least as much as a border fence, is 10 to 20,000 immigration agents, not just to arrest people, but to go after immigration fraud. That's why I wrote that booklet about fraud and how dangerous it is. Don't take my word for it. Look at the 9-11 Commission report. They were crystal clear. Immigration fraud was the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists, and not just on 9-11. They looked at 94 terrorists in the decade leading up to 9-11. And so 
um, we, we know what the problems were. And so they gave China the most favored trade status, which makes no sense. And China is acting more like an adversary than an ally. They created an artificial island in the South China Sea, warned our military, don't you dare get too close to that island or else. They're building up their military in ways you can't begin to imagine. In fact, right now, according to a recent article, um, China has the biggest nuclear um, production plant in the world, factory turning out nuclear submarines. Who's their adversary? Who do you see confronting China anywhere? And I would argue that no one's really confronting them. My concern is that they're preparing to go on offensive, that they are assembling a first-rate nuclear navy, nuclear attack submarines, intercontinental ballistic missiles. They're building stealth fighter planes that are comparable to our F-22 and F-35, the J-20, and there's others in the pipeline. Very disturbing. And we are hearing about how they engage in hacking our computers every minute of every day, corporate computers, government computers, stealing our secrets. And they send us the second greatest number of STEM students, period, second only to India. 152,000, 152,000 Chinese students were enrolled last year in STEM curriculum around the United States. STEM, of course, science, technology, engineering, and math. We are educating China's computer programmers who hack our computers. We are educating Chinese engineers who have built the isle, that artificial island in the South China Sea, who are building the nuclear submarines, who are building the stealth fighter planes. And then their people, when they go to school, are entitled to work for companies to get optional practical training. And very often they get optional practical training by working for people that get military contracts or companies that get military contracts. And China has a principle, I'm going to be writing about this soon, known as a thousand grains of sand. And what that means is they don't tell their people when they're here, bring us the blueprint for the F-22 Raptor fighter plane. What they'll say to them is, you get us the, the diagram of the landing gear, and you get us the diagram for the compressor blades on the jet engine, and you get us the diagram to the avionics package, and you get us the diagram to the actuators that move the control surfaces and so forth. So everyone goes out, they just get a little piece to the puzzle, and then when the puzzle pieces are brought back to China, they're able to reassemble the airplane. And now the articles are saying that Chinese engineers are starting to build from scratch on their own. And where do you think they were educated, folks? We trained them. And I'm not sure we can lock this bond door anymore anyway. The damage is done. We have taken Chinese kids, put them through the best of the best of the best engineering schools on the planet, and they went back to China, and they're building China into a first-rate military power. And if you read the article, it's anticipated that within the coming decades, the United States will be confronting China and Russia. And we've trained the Chinese engineers. This is an act of suicide. It's an act of utter stupidity. And if President Trump is going to impose tariffs, and I support what he's doing, desperate situations require desperate action. He needs to pull the plug on educating Chinese students in the United States. Maybe it's too little, too late, but damn it, it has to stop. And we should not be allowing those individuals to be working in our factories where they might be able to conduct industrial espionage, because we know they are. We know that they are. And we've got to be very careful with what we're doing. This is a problem that will confront us in the decades to come. And we can go back to why we gave them favorite trade status in the first place, most favorite tra trade status. Crazy stuff crazy stuff, but clearly our own government is, is our own worst enemy, whether they do it wittingly, unwittingly. I'm convinced that half those nitwits in Congress couldn't get a real job if they had to. Some of them are very bright, some, but some of these folks I don't think can walk and chew gum without one of their aides propping them up. 
when they deliver those great speeches, they're not reading their words. They have some kid who were, who went to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or Dartmouth writing their speeches. They literally need to have words put in their mouths because they're not capable of it. And this is who represents America and Americans. And yet we keep reelecting these folks. I don't believe in term limits. I believe in Americans imposing term limits on the members of Congress. If you have a good member of Congress, and there's a few, a very few, but people like Chuck Grassley, people like Lou Barletta, who's now running for the Senate, um, Steve King, a congressman from Iowa, there are some good people there. They need the support of their electorate. I don't want them leaving Congress. But the rest of these nitwits need to be sent packing. We need to hold these politicians accountable. You know, when we go to a restaurant, we're very specific about the food that we want to eat and the way that we want it prepared. If the food is served to us and we don't like it, we send it back to the kitchen. And if that doesn't work, we leave. Why in the world are we treating politicians any differently? But by the way, in defense of some of them, how do these folks know how to represent you if they're not hearing from you? When you go to a restaurant, you don't tell the waiter, throw something on a plate, I'll eat it. You tell them what you want. You know, I want a cheeseburger, and I don't like American cheese. I want Swiss cheese, and I want it medium well, and I'd like a slice of pickle and so forth. That's how you order your food. If you don't tell your elected representative what you want, if you don't appear to be interested or involved, they will take that as a license to do what they want. They really will. Because they're going to look around and say, well, no one's noticing, nobody cares, I'm here. I'm going to look out for me. I'm going to do what's in my best interest. Of course, most of these nitwits don't understand that they're sawing off the branch of that tree by sitting on the wrong side of the branch. And we're all sitting on the wrong side of the branch with them. But as I said, a lot of these people aren't particularly bright. But at least we need to put the fear of the electorate into these people. And that's why we need to be speaking with our neighbors. Don't start out talking about liberal versus conservative. Ask them, do you think it's fair that foreign workers replace American workers? Do you think it's fair that we have an open border that permits drugs flowing freely into the United States? Do you think it's fair that children are being killed by gang members who shouldn't even be in the United States in the first place? You see? Because that's the way to get your neighbors to understand the issue. When you start to talk about conservative versus liberal, you're not going to get too many people on your side. And you've got to separate immigration from the abortion issue, from the Second Amendment issue. Don't come charging at somebody with 15 issues and think you're going to get them to listen to you. Immigration is one issue that everyone should be on the same page. And everyone must be on the same page because nothing else will matter if you can't protect your country against its enemies, whether those enemies wear a uniform, whether they're terrorists, or whether they're members of transnational gangs. They all cost American lives. They, also, they all endanger the survival of our nation and the survival of our citizens. And what rational person doesn't have real concerns about those threats? And that's the way to approach the issue. This isn't about going after the Mexicans or going after people of this flavor or that flavor. You know, I've arrested people who were British, who were Irish, who were Japanese, who were Israeli, who were Mexican, who were Jamaican, you name them. And that's because human nature is human nature. We all bleed red. And every race, every religion, every ethnicity has the good, the bad, and the ugly. And to think otherwise is foolish. I thank you for spending the hour with me this evening. I hope you find the program helpful, informative. If you do, please be part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth and tell your friends and neighbors and folks you work with about the work I'm trying to do. Please check out my articles at frontpagemag.com, The Social Contract, and Newsmax, or just go to my website, michaelcutler.net. And please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get involved. I hope to see you again next week, same time, right here, on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody, and uh, see you next week.